0: Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. I'm pretty excited today, not just to share God's grace with you, but because we have a good friend who's in the house today who would love to share God's grace with you too. Uh, This is Pastor Jeremy Maddock. Uh, Some of you might be familiar with his work, uh, his ministry. He's been a colleague here at Time of Grace. A great speaker on our Grace Talks lineup. Uh, The pastor who does our evening encouragements. If you've seen those online, Uh, Pastor Jeremy and I met a half a lifetime ago when we were in college. (laughs) And uh, he's joining us for the Skeptical Faith series. But before we get to that, Jeremy, uh, for those people who haven't met you yet, you're brand new, you're a total stranger. In less than 64 seconds, tell us as many personal things about yourself (laughs) as you're willing to share.
1: We'll see if I can accomplish that. Uh, First of all, thanks for letting me be here. Thanks for letting me uh, invade your space and share God's word with you today. That's uh, that's an awesome privilege and I, I don't take it lightly. I've, uh, I've been serving as a pastor since 2004 uh, in public ministry. Started my ministry down in, uh, well in, uh, won't be down for everybody, but in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I served at a congregation there for 14 years. Prior to that, I, uh, I spent an intern year with, uh, with Pastor Mark Jeske. And uh, some, of, um, some of you might be familiar with, with that name if you've been watching Time of Grace for, uh, for a while. Uh, for the last three years, my family and I have been serving at a congregation in central Wisconsin Um, and when I say my family, that consists of me, my wife, Karen, and our five children ages 12 through 19. Wow.
0: Our daughters play volleyball together. They sure do. There's that. They just won a championship. They were highly successful. So if you (laughs) haven't seen that headline, (laughs) okay, (laughs) there are bigger things to talk about. So in this series called Skeptical Faith, we're, we're trying to open a Bible and honestly answer some of the toughest questions that Christians face. And not just pastors like us, but people watching at home, they're, kids, their grandkids, their friends, their neighbors. You know, this is the reason I want nothing to do with religion or Christianity or Jesus or your Bible, uh, all that stuff. And, and today's a huge one. We're gonna talk about heaven and hell. So as you kind of think about all the questions we could have answered, why does this topic, heaven and hell, deserve to be you know, like the top five big questions that a Christian should be able to answer?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, the topic of heaven and hell might be one of the least talked about topics, uh, just among people in general, because we don't like to talk about it. In in reality, everybody thinks about it. The, you know, there's a passage in the Bible in Ecclesiastes that said, God, God has placed eternity in the human heart. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a sense of, there's something beyond what I'm living right now and beyond the place where I'm living right now that, that God has placed in the human heart so that we wouldn't be surprised, so that we would be inclined to go searching for it. And when you think about the timeline of our existence for each person, we each have our beginning date but our end date goes into eternity and our time on earth is about this much Mm. compared to the time in eternity and you know what we want to get that right Mm. people also have a lot of questions about that
0: Mm.
1: questions that often are asked with a lot of fear and jesus addresses those questions with some beautiful answers that Mm. take away all the fears that anyone could possibly have about about death about afterlife about heaven about hell um, he talks about the reality of it all, but the beautiful reality of how
0: he uniquely prepares us mm. to receive all, all the best that it offers. Oh. All right, you got my attention. In, in my office, just a few feet from here, I have a 150 foot rope I got from Amazon. And only the, the last few inches of this white rope hang out the, the side of the drawer and there's a, like a one inch piece of black tape. And that's my reminder, like mm-hmm. this life might feel long, but my 80 years, however many years we get, is nothing compared to eternity. Yeah. So I'm happy that you're tackling this. Well, I hope all of you at home enjoy this message. It's an important one, it's something that Jesus tackled. So let's listen to Pastor Jeremy as he opens up God's word and talks to us about heaven and hell.
1: A woman came in in critical condition. And they worked on her, they tried to save her life, but they were not able to save her life. They were unsuccessful. And so the woman, the woman died. And she was dead for 45 minutes. Till she woke up again. My friend, the ER nurse, happened to be in the room when this woman woke up and when the woman woke up, she was, she was confused. She was terrified. She had this look of horror on her face. And when they settled her down and when she realized that where she was and what was going on, my friend, the, the nurse, asked,
2: Can I ask what you were thinking about when you woke up? Because you looked really scared. And she said, Well, I died. And when I died, I saw this white light off in the distance
1: and so I started walking towards it. And as I started walking towards it, I could, I could hear something, I could hear voices and as I got closer and closer, I could tell it was the voices of children and they were so happy. They were playing, they were having such a great time and so I started walking a little bit faster because I wanted to get there more quickly because it was so, so happy and so exciting. And as I get in closer and closer, the voices were louder and louder and I thought to myself, this must be heaven! I'm on my way to heaven! And so she kept running and she kept going faster and faster wanting wanted to get there until she was
2: almost there and when she almost was, then boom! It was like she hit a wall, like a glass wall, because she couldn't go, she couldn't go any farther.
1: At this By this point, she could see the children. She could see them happy and laughing and having a great time. But she couldn't But she couldn't get there and so she tried to get their attention. She tried to wave and she tried to scream and she tried to bang on what
2: was in front of her but the children didn't notice her. So she tried harder. Waving more frantically, banging more loudly,
1: screaming at the top of her lungs and she said, I kept doing this for as long as I could until finally
2: I realized it was no use and I gave up and I collapsed. Which is when she woke up with a new perspective. And according to her, the new perspective was, she never wanted to be on the outside of heaven looking in. That's what she thinks that was. It was just a small taste of hell and she never wanted to get anywhere close to that ever again. Whether or
1: not you believe the details of those stories, whether or not you think they're accurate, the perspective of the reality of heaven and the reality of hell is one that Jesus himself talks about. He talks about it in the Gospel of Luke where he contrasts two lives. Two lives, two individuals living at the same time. And by looking at them, we get an incredible perspective on what comes next and how we should feel about our place after we're done on this earth. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And based on what we know about palaces and beggars back in those days, we know that it was likely that the rich man actually had to step over Lazarus to get into his palace. And so he saw him. He just didn't want anything to do with him. And apparently, neither did did anyone else. Nobody came to check on him. Nobody offered him anything. Nobody came to care for
2: him. Nobody asked him how he was doing. Nobody loved him. Do you ever get anywhere close to having that kind of feeling in your life? That nobody loves you? does anyone really know how often? For Lazarus, I mean, his pain was obvious to everyone on the outside. Everyone could
1: see and could look at him and know that he was broken, that some important things were missing. But we typically do a pretty good job of hiding our pain from one another so then nobody really knows what's going on on the inside. You know, when people ask you, how are you doing? We typically say, oh, we're fine, even, even when we're not, hoping that that's enough to move along the conversation so they get to, the next, uh, get to the next topic, the next thing, so that they never have time to discover just how lonely you sometimes feel in the middle of everyone
2: or just how down you can sometimes get about yourself when you see all the ways that you're broken. or how intentionally you try to cover up things in your life? How carefully
1: you choose your words so that nobody knows what's really going on on the inside?
2: Or just how strongly you believe that if your life were fully exposed like Lazarus' life was where everybody could see everything, how strongly you believe that maybe no one would want anything to do with you
1: as you really are at any moment? And in that way, Lazarus got just a small taste
2: of hell before the rich man felt it in all of its abundance. And the thought
1: of hell that really upsets some people as it relates to God, and that some people think that the creation of hell, the fact that God created hell, means that God must be a really, really bad God. Like what kind of God would send people to hell? But really, the creation of hell actually means something very good about his attention towards you, I mean, just think about the last time somebody stepped over you or somebody pushed you away.
2: Think about the last people who obviously wanted nothing to do with you or the last time you were a victim or your children were or your friends of somebody else's cruelty or hate. The fact that God created hell means that that matters to him. It matters to God. It matters to God when somebody treats you poorly,
1: when people do not treat you well. I mean, just think about what it would mean if a place like hell did not exist. It would mean that people could treat you poorly, that they could step over you, that they could do whatever they wanted to
2: you and God would be indifferent. But he's not. The creation of hell means that God cares about what happens to you. He cares about what happens to you. And
1: why did the rich man end up in hell and Lazarus end up in heaven? We get a a clue to that by looking at their names. You know, if I were to ask you if you were to read through this section, what's the name of the person who ended up in heaven, you would say his name is Lazarus.
2: And if I were to ask you what's the name of the person who ended up in hell, you would say his name is... We don't know. The Bible just calls him The rich man. As Jesus was telling the story,
1: Jesus defined this man, it seems, in the same way that he defined himself when he was on earth, that life was good as long as he was rich. Whether or not he had God, whether or not he ended up in heaven, life was good as if he was rich. Except he didn't end up in hell because he was rich. You know, it's, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have a lot of money. There are lots of great examples in the Bible of people who had incredible wealth who were also incredibly godly. You know, and the, the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And you can, you can love money whether you have a lot of money or or you have very little money at all. If the love of money is what drives you from day to day, the want never being content with what you have, always getting more and of course, it's not just the love of money. It's not just money that people can love more than they love God, more than they love heaven, more than they love wanting to be with their creator. It's, it's really anything in this world that has any kind of control over our mood, our joy, our emotions. And there are so many things. The book of Ecclesiastes, in one place, it, it refers to the person who has trouble sleeping at night. And the reason that person has trouble sleeping at night is because Their mind is swirling. They're worried about so many different things—things they good things they might never gain, bad things they might never lose. Worried about things on earth just not going the way that they were hoping. And for Christians who are not supposed to worry about anything, Jesus tells us in the Book of Matthew. You know, maybe maybe a good way to see if if your heart is going in the direction that it shouldn't is to very simply ask yourself the question: What are you worried about these days? Just like there was a day when the rich man did not have any trouble not thinking about his worldly wealth anymore and there was a day when Lazarus didn't have any trouble not thinking about his poverty and his brokenness and his pain on earth. As different as their lives were, there was one
2: thing that both of these individuals had in common. They both died. They both had to say goodbye to everything on earth that they had up
1: until that moment. But that's when their lives became very different again. Lazarus was taken to Abraham's side where it says that he was comforted, but the rich man, he went to hell where it says that he was in torment. And that word torment should at at least rattle anyone who thinks that, well, hell won't be so bad. Because the word torment has the, the picture of like metal rubbing against metal in a very uncomfortable way, like taking, uh, taking, taking metal and rubbing it against a stone and constantly happening as if you're in a little car and being crunched by two semis at the same time. And because hell goes on for eternity just like heaven does, it's a pain that never ends, that never finishes. It's a place of torment. There's another place, there's another piece of torment that we get a glimpse into in this section and that is the fact that it doesn't seem that Lazarus could look down into hell and see what was going on there. The rich man tried to get Abraham's attention and say and say, "Hey, can you can you send Lazarus down here and let him, you know, just send him down here to do something." But it seems that Lazarus was kept safe from seeing all the pain that was down there in that
2: other place. But the rich man, he could look into heaven and he could see what he was missing. And he could see it every day. He had to live with the eternal pain of regret of knowing what he could have had, of seeing it but
1: never getting anywhere close to it. And it was in that place of torment that he finally realized the one thing that he, that he was missing when he was on earth. The one thing that would have made the biggest difference. The one thing that his family needed, his brothers needed, and do you know what that was? Do you know what one thing, what one thing he was missing when he was on earth? It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't the Word of God. Abraham pointed out very correctly. It said, no, they, they have Moses and the prophets. Your brothers, they have access to the Word of God. Just like you and I, we have access to the Word of God so easily. We can buy it at any bookstore. We can get it online. We can download it on our phones. We have the Word of God. That's not what was missing. What was missing, we see in verse 30 of that chapter, the rich man himself identified
2: it. It was something that he did not do while he was on earth. What was missing was he didn't repent. He didn't repent. And you know what it means to repent?
1: There's a cave in Mexico called the Crystal Cave. It was discovered not even two dozen years ago. It was discovered about twenty years ago. It's an underground cave. And it's full of crystals, like giant crystals, crystals that are up to 36 feet long and, and incredibly wide, like as, like as round as some, some big silos that you would see on a Midwestern farm, you know, giant. And with, with crystal being worth up to $21,000 per pound, that cave is worth more than most countries in the world. Phenomenal place. But there's something you should know about the cave before you go in. It's 136 degrees inside. 136 degrees. Which means you can only stay inside for about 30 minutes before the heat will burn you alive. And so if you go to that cave, if you go in, if you want to see it, then you can, just make sure you don't get too attached to it.
2: Make sure eventually, at some point, you turn around and you walk away. That's what it means to repent. It means to walk away from our excessive love of of money, of comfort, of stuff,
1: of popularity, of anything in this world that has such huge control over our mood and our emotions that we're going to have to say goodbye to anyway, is to turn around from them, from our excessive love of them, before it's too late and turn toward the same word of God that the rich man's brothers had access to every day. Because in it, We see a man who did not turn away, who did not walk away from the whip and the thorns and the nails that were pounded into him, a man who was laid not at the gate of a rich man but who was laid instead at the foot of a cross after he had been severely beaten, a cross on which he was raised to forgive anyone who has ever mistakenly believed that there is something in this broken world more valuable than the one who sees all the ways that we hurt
2: who sees all of the ways we're broken, who sees all of our pain and saves us from it. He saves us from it. And why?
1: Because even Jesus knows that this world can never give us anything close
2: to what he can give. But he can and he will. And it seems that Lazarus knew that. I mean, there's one thing in, this, in that section
1: that you never hear Lazarus do. You never hear him complain. This man who was, who was broken and beaten and alone and void of so many good things, we never hear him complain because it seems he thought he didn't need to because he firmly believed that when he had his
2: Lord, he really did have the one thing he needed more than anything. Comfort.
1: Comfort. The comfort of knowing that God saw him and the comfort of knowing that one day he would be in the only
2: place where there is no more death or crying or pain and where every tear is wiped away. He only needed to wait for just a short time
1: through a little bit of pain to get to it. And I do mean a little bit, just a little. I mean, just think about the perspective on their lives. You know, these, these individuals, they would have lived during the time of Jesus, who lived about 2,100 years ago, which means that they've both both been alive for about 2,100 years, just some time on earth and sometime in heaven. But if you look at the rich man, imagine he lived about 75 years before he died, got to 75 years old. It means he was really only rich If you take his entire existence, from the moment he was conceived to where he is in hell right now, all those years, he was only rich for about 3% of them.
2: And Lazarus, on the flip side, was was only alone and broken for about 3% of his existence, but comforted for all the rest of it. That's minimal. The 3%. That's where we're living right now in our three percent. But that doesn't mean your three percent
1: is insignificant, it's not. I'll never forget my twenty-fifth birthday. On my twenty-fifth birthday, I was in a hospice room
2: with a very good friend. She was dying. She was young. But she was dying, we knew that. And the morning of
1: my twenty-fifth birthday, I received the phone call that this was, this was going to be it. And so, I'll, I drove down the street to her hospice room and I spent, I spent all day there. And I, I sat by her bed and I read scripture and I sang songs. And, and that's just how the day was as she was going in and out, taking a deep breath, you know, and us not really knowing if that was going to be
2: the last one. She would take a deep breath and she wouldn't breathe for a little bit. And then she would take a deep breath And the time
1: between breaths was, well, there was more time between each one until finally she took a
2: deep breath and we were sure that that was the last one. But then a few minutes later, she took a very deep breath.
1: (gasps) You know, very deep. eyes open, really, really wide and you could tell she was, her eyes were just darting across the room and you could tell she was really confused about where she was and so when she settled down, we we asked her, I was there with her parents and with another pastor, we asked, we said, Amy, we said, what's, you know, what's going on? You look really confused. And, and she looked around and she started looking at individuals, telling who it was, and then and she said, oh,
2: I really thought I was walking into heaven. And then she looked at me, I was right by her bed, and she said, and you, you were holding my hand, walking me in. And then she closed her eyes and then she died. But really, that's the moment she really lived, set
1: free from this broken place with no doubt about where she was going to be and who she was going to be with. And that moment had a powerful impact on me. It reminded, it reminded me Just what our purpose is as we go through our little 3% of our existence down here on this planet. is to hold each other's hands and walk each other into the only place where we'll never be broken ever again. A place that is freely gifted to us by a Jesus who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of our Savior, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the perspective that he gives us as we walk through life, the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, the reality of our sin, the reality that we are forgiven, that we are your children. As Lazarus was comforted by that assurance during his time on earth and found perfect comfort as he walked into heaven. May that always comfort our hearts. And until we get there, help us to be very good about holding each other's hands. This world is a very difficult, broken world. It's a hard world in which to live. So help us to excel at being there for one another, reminding one another of the place, the home of perfection that Jesus died to give us, our true home in which we will forever live. In your name we pray, amen.
0: I hope today's message resonated with you. I know it's a pretty hard topic, but we have to talk about hard things in order to heal and find help and hope in the name of Jesus. And the truth is that God has opened an amazing door for us to help more people. Recently, a family of generous donors has offered a $100,000 challenge grant. That means when you give, your gift will go twice as far that people can hear about Jesus and we pray find ultimate healing in Jesus. I'm sure you've noticed what I have. The people are hurting and they're angry and they're searching. At Time of Grace, we've noticed that more people through Instagram and YouTube and podcasts are trying to find something that this world can't give. And we know what that something is. It's actually a someone named Jesus. And that's even true for heavy topics like this one, abuse. We know that too many people, too many of you have experienced verbal or physical or emotional abuse and all of it breaks God's heart. And that's why with Courage, we want to open our Bibles and give the kind of healing that can only be found in the name of Jesus. So thank you for your gift. I want to send you this book called How to Heal. It takes the topic of abuse even deeper as we find God's word for the abused, for the abusive, and for the church that seeks to minister to both. How to Heal is our way of saying thanks for your financial support. Request yours when you give to our $100,000 challenge grant this month by calling... Visit timeofgrace.org Write us at PO Box 301 Milwaukee, Wisconsin 53201 Or text TIME to 313131 to give today. Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast but want to go even deeper in your faith, I want to invite you to check out all the great content that we put out here at Time of Grace. Um, The easiest way for you to do that, and the way that I personally do that, is by signing up for the Time of Grace email. I might be biased. (laughs) But I think the Time of Grace team does a great job putting all into one email. A written devotion, a video devotion, a blog post, podcasting options. It's the way that I love to start my day. And if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's a great way to start yours, too. Just look for the link in the episode notes to sign up, and thanks for your support.